Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. In the last episode, I spoke with Nadine Briggs about the connection between social skills and EF skills. We talked about different strategies and tools that kids and parents can use to develop these skills. In today's episode, we're looking at another set of skills that are helpful for kids, especially teens and young adults, and those are coping skills. The transition to college or work from high school has its own special set of challenges, and practicing some coping skills can really help feel more successful during this time. The executive function skill of emotional regulation, which is also called self-regulation, plays a really big part in coping with challenging situations. Emotional regulation is all about recognizing, managing, and then appropriately responding to our emotions. I think that this is one of the most challenging EF skills for us to learn, and it's also one of the most important because it directly affects all areas of our lives. From the moment we wake up until we fall asleep, emotions influence our, well, everything. And learning to develop our emotional regulation from a young age can have a hugely positive impact on our lives. To learn more about emotional regulation and what coping skills might be particularly useful, I invited Jackie Wolfman, a therapist in the Boston area, to join me for a conversation about this. Jackie teaches these coping skills to her clients through DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. I know, it's a mouthful, and might also be something that you have not heard of before. I myself had only seen the acronym, but I had no idea what it was. So I had to do a little research before my conversation with Jackie. You can check out the show notes for the stuff that I found. DBT is related to CBT, which you may have heard of before. And if you haven't, CBT stands for Cognitive Behavior Therapy. And in this type of therapy, you learn to recognize certain negative or unhelpful thought patterns and then challenge them and change them through certain actions, such as facing your fears and increasing your awareness of your behaviors. I'll let Jackie explain more about DBT and how emotional regulation strategies used in this type of therapy are so effective for teaching teens and young adults these coping skills. Okay, now on to the show. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, there's your dog. Right on cue. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here to talk with you. Good. Yeah. Do you want to um, introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit? Sure. So my name is Jackie Wolfman. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've really focused my career on helping both college students and uh, young adults in their early adulthood who might be struggling with anxiety, trauma, um, impulsivity, relationship difficulties, whole host of things. Um, and so uh, more recently, I founded a mental health private practice called Village Psychology um, that's dedicated to providing evidence-based therapy groups, workshops, and other programs to help college students and young adults uh, really find relief from suffering and, you know, hopefully begin to create lives that they're truly excited about and really love. Um, so I spent 10 years in New York training. Um, and doing my education there. And then I moved to Boston um, about 10 years ago now 
uh, to do a postdoc in dialectical behavior therapy at McLean Hospital and Harvard Medical School. So that's where I got um, really the bulk of my uh, DBT training, which I can talk about later. Um, I'm certified, um, uh, I'm a certified DBT clinician by the DBT Linehan Board of Certification. Um, and I have a background in the arts. So I really like mm -hmm. to think of myself as someone who tries to combine, you know, creativity and innovation and, you know, a strong grounding in, in science and evidence-based practice um, to develop these programs, um, you know, to work with young people. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Can you explain to our listeners what DBT is? Absolutely. So DBT stands for dialectical behavior therapy. It is a form of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that includes um, a focus on individual therapy, on-call skills coaching, and also um, skills training groups. So groups where people are learning to develop coping skills in different areas. So dialectical, that's uh, not a word that you hear every day. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what it means and why it might be important? Sure. So it, it, it's definitely important. It's the name of the therapy. Um, and a, a dialectic really refers to this idea that we can have two things that seem like opposites and they can both be true at the same time. So um, some different examples could be, I am tough and I am gentle, or I like school and I don't like school, right? Um, and so uh, dialectics is important for a lot of reasons. Um, one is that it really helps us get away from all or nothing thinking. So all or nothing thinking is either, you know, something like I got an A on this test or I'm a total failure, right? That would be all or nothing or either you're my best friend or you're my enemy, right? And so when we get stuck in these um, all or nothing types of thought patterns, dialectics, dialectics can help us find balance and move out of that. So um, maybe instead of, you know, either I get an A or I'm a failure, it's something like, um, you know, that test was really hard for me and I'm going to uh, study in a different way next time or I'm disappointed with how that went. Um, and I can ask for help to see what I can do differently, right? So helping us find that middle ground uh, so that we're not stuck in these all or nothing types of ways of seeing ourselves or other people or even the, the world. Um, something that has just been trending for me lately is this idea of identity and, and, and who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine dialectical thinking is helpful um, in, in figuring out who our identity is and how I imagine like you can say, like, like I did poorly on that test and I'm still a good student or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I really can inform how you talk to yourself about yourself, right? And then how you view yourself um, and what different things mean to you that I can see this as a, uh, you know, I did poorly on the test or I didn't study as much as I could have is a problem that can be solved, right? That can be addressed. And you can also hold in your mind, like you're saying this idea that I'm still a good student, right? And I'm still smart and I'm still curious and passionate about what I care about. Um, so it's not just uh, one or the other. Who's a good candidate for DBT? 
Yeah, so people come to DBT to work on a range of difficulties. It was initially developed to work with people who are really at high risk of hurting themselves and having difficulties in a number of different areas. And since it's been expanded to uh, apply to many different types of uh, problems. Um, but I would say a common factor in terms of people who come uh, to DBT treatment and really benefit from it are, is some sort of difficulty with regulating their emotions. So that might look like anxiety, depression. It could be rapid mood changes. It could be feeling numb or empty, impulsive behaviors, or really any combination of those. Um, would you say there's, um, like I hadn't, I hadn't really heard of it. I mean, I'd seen the acronym mm -hmm. and I know about CBT, but I hadn't really didn't, I had to do a little research to learn about it myself. Sure. Do you find, um, that people are, is there, is there more awareness about it now? And also is there a stigma about it? If it used to be used for people who were at risk of hurting themselves, but now it could be for anybody really. Yeah, I think there is increasing awareness um, about uh, dialectical behavior therapy and certainly has, you know, been considered really the gold standard for people who do have high risk behaviors, um, whether that's, you know, suicidal thoughts or self harm or other types of risky behaviors. Um, and so sometimes people do have that question, is this really for me because I don't fit into that category. Um, and so I think it just requires more education to tell people, yes, it might be, you know, let's look at what the, what the therapy offers and what you're looking for help with and, you know, see if this, if this makes sense. Because like you said, I mean, these are skills that I think pretty much we all could use. I mean, I use them all the time um, and continue to practice them. So uh, it, it's not necessarily for everyone, but it really can benefit a wide range of people, I think. Yeah. So if you are, if you are listening and you don't feel like you fall into the category of that, there are still lots of what I'm getting is there are still a lot of coping skills and uh, strategies that you might learn in DBT that can help. So it sounds like DBT is um, it was from the research, that, the reading that I did about it. And I watched a YouTube video, which was really helpful oh, as well. Yeah. yeah um, it sounds like it's very, um, holistic mm -hmm. like it it includes the families the person who's um the person who is at the highest risk the, and their families and then i love how um the skills groups are involved mm -hmm. and then also the skills practice mm -hmm. and how um how available you as the therapist are to the um person who's in therapy so that they can make sure that they are completely supported when they're trying to learn these new coping skills. Yeah, so the I think you you know part of what you're talking about is what we call skills coaching where yes. your individual usually your individual therapist um sometimes it could be the group therapist but your therapist is available to you in between sessions for short coaching calls. And this is because it's really one thing to learn the skills in the group and that's terrific, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to apply them in the moment that you need it. And so sometimes that's during a therapy session, but most of our lives were not in our therapy sessions uh, that might be for one hour a week at most um, potentially. And so 
um, that's what the skills coaching is for, that you can contact your therapist. You can say, this is the problem I'm having. These are the emotions I'm feeling. This is my goal. This is what I've already tried. Usually your therapist prompts you to answer these questions, of course. Um, and what, what else can I do? You know, help me figure out how to use these skills now when I really need it. Um, and I just find that that really goes such a long way in terms of people's ability to use it and start to use them eventually more more independently. So they don't necessarily need to call their therapist, but at first it really makes just a world of difference in being able to apply the skills in the time that, that you really need it. So I imagine developing a really strong trust between um, your client and your therapist, the client and the therapist is really important so that they feel comfortable reaching out. Cause they, I mean, I imagine they might feel like they're interrupting you. Absolutely. So some people will say that, you know, oh, you know, isn't it hard to be on call because people are calling you all the time. And actually what I find is exactly what you're saying that actually people don't want to interrupt my life. They don't want to bother me. They don't know if it's worth it or, um, you know, things like that. And so really I have to help people encourage them to, to reach out. And you're absolutely right. The relationship um, between the therapist and the client is the most important thing in terms of really any therapy being successful, I think, because um, that's the foundation upon which you can do all the other work. Yeah. I mean, we find the same thing with, with uh, executive mm. function skills mm -hmm. coaching too. And we also do the same thing. We check in with our clients during the week. And, and I always encourage my clients to reach out. Like if you're struggling and you, and you are like, not sure what to do in a situation where you're trying to, I don't know, plan for the week or something, reach out, but you're right. People don't do it very often. So yeah. hopefully anyone's listening, I hope they reach out to their therapist or reach out to their coach. If they, yeah. it's oh, one of the skills to learn and practice really is to be able to ask for help. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, yeah, that's definitely something that I've been working on mm -hmm. and, and doing this podcast has actually been part of that, you know, like I've, I've had to ask for a lot of help. I've had to ask people to explain things that I don't understand. Mm. And it's, it's a scary thing to put yourself out there. Uh, but you can learn so much and grow so much. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you said you work, um, in, you do group, um, like group, what do you call them group? Is it group therapy or group session? You know, I do call it group therapy, um, because it, it is group therapy, but I also explain to people that a DBT group is in a lot of ways, a little, a little bit more like a class than other types of group therapy. So we, there's different types of group therapy and, um, that can be benefit beneficial in different ways, you know, for different people at different times. But these groups that with the DBT skills training groups, it really um, does in some ways feel a little bit more like a class because there is a workbook, there's a curriculum, I'm teaching a different skill each week, there's homework practice. So it's not an open-ended discussion group, although there are many opportunities to connect and share with other group members, um, but it's much more structured. Um, and so do you... Uh, you offer these groups for um, young adults, right? Yes. So I never know what to call, you know, yeah. what young adult means that because to some people right. that's, you know, tween others, it's older. So, yeah. so <laughs> I have, I have groups that are specifically for college students, which tend to be traditional college age, maybe 18 to 22 ish. And then mm -hmm. I also have separate groups, which I do call the young adult groups, but those are ages typically 22 to 30 ish. Okay. I have both. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so what if, um, and I imagine there's also DBT for kids who are in high school. Yes, or, absolutely. Yeah. And I've done okay. that as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So speaking of kids who are in high school, um, I'm, I have a client right now who is graduating and he's um, going to be going to college in the fall. Um, and so it makes me think about what kids can do to kind of get ready for, for being a grown up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 uh, the differences that they're going to encounter when they get to school and they're going to be away from their regular environment. Do you, um, do you ever work with kids prior to college? I do. And in fact, I'm working on developing, um, a, a more, um, specific program for sort of like the pre-college prep, but from the mental health and wellness perspective, um, and to help people kind of identify what are the skills um, that they uh, need to learn in practice before um, starting college. Yeah. So what are they? Great question. What, yeah, what, should, what should people work on? Yeah. So um, there's four main categories of skills that we cover in DBT. And I think those map on really well to some of the skills that are needed for college. So the core skill is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of my favorite quotes about mindfulness is that it sounds simple and it is, but it's not easy. So when I'm talking about mindfulness, I'm really talking about two things, your ability to focus your mind where you want it to go instead of you know, feeling like you have no control over that. Um, and also increasing awareness, both of what's going on around you, but really also what's happening internally, your own thoughts and your own feelings. And so a mindfulness practice can be, again, super simple, like for the next 30 to 60 seconds, notice whatever sounds you notice. It's a very simple practice. And if we start to do that, usually what we notice is it's not easy. It's really hard, Mm -hmm. right? I start thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch or a conversation I had yesterday or all the things on my to-do list, right. To just kind of bring myself to the moment and focus on those sounds <laughs> takes a lot of practice. Um, and so I think it has a lot of applications for everyone, but in particular for college students, because they have so much going on to be able to focus mm-hmm. where you need to focus is a real challenge. Um, and being able to identify what you're feeling in the moment has so many benefits being able to figure out what else you need. Yeah. And what's so interesting, like if you look at sort of the brain science behind mindfulness Mm -hmm. and awareness of how we are feeling is the executive function skill of metacognition and like, how how, can you like, Mm. can you figure out what you're feeling and can you figure out like why you do what you do and why you don't do what you do? And so that seems, and it's also the last executive function skill to develop, um, Mm in the trajectory of the development of that. And, um, so that's interesting because that's about the time when people start to get better at that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's good timing Mm -hmm. if you think about it from like a brain science side of it. Yeah. And I think it's something we can continue to develop our whole lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially with how busy, uh, and it pulled in how in many directions people are, um, being able to, mm, yeah, recognize how you're feeling. And, and like you said, the attention piece of it is so, this can be so challenging when there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Great. So what's the next, the next core skill? Yeah. So the next core, core skill um, has to do with relationships. So in DBT, we call this interpersonal effectiveness. So really having uh, strategies for maintaining relationships um, while also being able to ask for what you need, whether that's asking for help, 
um, and saying no, turning down a request um, and keeping your self-respect. So being able to balance maintaining relationships with, with these two other factors of asking for what you need and also saying no um, are very important. You can imagine for the college student. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. Like asking for what you need and also saying no, because mm -hmm. in a way that's asking for what you need. Yes, absolutely. So being able to identify and understand your own limits, um, yeah. and taking the risk to set them can be very hard to practice, especially we don't want to make people upset or we're afraid people won't like us, or we just don't have practice doing that. Um, right. but with so many demands of, of college students, it can be really, really helpful to be able to say, you know what, I have all these things on my plate right now. I'm not going to take on this other thing or, um, to be able to say, you know what, what you're asking me to do actually crosses my values. So I'm going to, uh, decline. Um, yeah. What you're saying reminds me of something I read in a book once. I think it was, and then they stopped talking to me by Judith Warner. Uh, don't quote me on that, but anyway, if it is that book, um, she writes about how important it is for kids to check in with how they feel after they hang out with someone. Yeah, I love that because I think so much of our focus can be on does the other person like me? How am I coming across? Right. And we all might feel that way at times or a lot of the time. Um, but to be able to kind of switch that narrative and ask, well, actually, how do I feel around this person? And is this someone I want to be spending time with? Um, is really, really important to be able to, again, it's that mindfulness piece, I think, of checking in with yourself and seeing how do I feel? What is my reaction? Yeah, and um, checking in with you and, and figuring that out might give you the confidence that you need to say to the person, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing this or asking for what you need. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. So what's next? So excited. Yeah. So next we have emotion regulation. So mm. um, emotion regulation has a lot to do with being able to identify emotions and really understand what in the world they're doing there and how, what they're doing for you. So like, what is the function? What is the purpose? What good are emotions? Um, so having some understanding of that and then having some tools to change the emotion when that's your goal. So obviously that's not always going to be the goal. There's often times where it's very useful to sit with your feelings, tolerate them, experience them. But there are times where you do want to change the intensity of what you're feeling or how long that it's lasting. And so, um, this is also a very important skill for college students when who might get very overwhelmed by exam week or things going on socially um, or, you know, conflict with family or whatever it might be dealing with a pandemic, right? There's just so yeah. many, so many things um, affecting people uh, every day. So um, having some tools to feel like, okay, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I know some things that I can do to bring the intensity down. It can also apply to feeling numb or empty, right? If someone's feeling that lack of feeling or experiencing a lack of feeling, what can I do to get myself back into experiencing my, my emotions? What strategies are, do people find most useful for both of those situations? Yeah, well, there's a really cool strategy in DBT called opposite action. And basically what that means is you identify what you're feeling, the feeling that you wanna change you identify what is the action urge, meaning what is this emotion telling me to do, right? Am I feeling angry and I feel like yelling and screaming? Am I feeling sad and I wanna 
climb in bed and pull the covers up over my head. You know, what is the urge? And then you identify the opposite and then you do that. <laughs> and oh, you might have, wow. <laughs> so if I want to reduce feeling sad in the moment and my urge is to, you know, pull the covers over my head, if my goal is to change the feeling, if the goal is not to change my feeling, then, you know, go to bed and pull the covers over my head. There's a time and a place for that. But if my goal is to change the feeling, then I would do the opposite. I would get active. I would be around other people, right? I would go for a brisk walk, something like that. Um, and that can really change how you're feeling. I love that. Gosh, I wish I had learned all these things when I, I remember being in college and I think a lot of, a lot of these strategies would have been really helpful. I know. I think that all the time. Yeah. It would have wow. been really nice to have some of these tools. Okay. And then the, that was three. So what's the fourth? So the fourth is called distress tolerance. And what this means is having skills for crisis or just really challenging situations where you can't fix it, or at least you can't solve it right away. Um, but you don't want to do something to make it worse, right? Like we've all been in that situation where it's a tough situation, challenging situation. And then, you know, I go ahead and do something that just makes it all worse for myself. Um, and so these are kind of what you think of usually what comes to mind when you think of like traditional coping skills, like maybe distraction, maybe self-soothing yourself, um, in the moment because you can't solve it in that moment, but you can prevent yourself from doing something impulsive or risky or, or just, you know, not helpful that sometimes, you know, we have those urges in those difficult moments because we want to fix it, or we don't want to feel that way anymore. So these are tools that can really help us to get through and even do well in those challenging situations. So for kids who are going off to college or, or, who, or kids who are in college mm -hmm. um, or anybody, really, any adults mm -hmm. that are listening, um, if, if you don't have access to DBT and um, you, but you want to benefit from some of the strategies that are, are used in DBT, are there resources or um, ways to access that information that that people can find? Yes, absolutely. So anyone can um, get the workbook. It, um, it, it has both handouts uh, that you can read through and then it has worksheets. So that gives you assignments basically of how to go and practice some of these skills. Um, so, and there's a lot of information online as well. And there are some free resources. Um, I can send you some of that information if you wanna put it in the notes for people, but there's some nice resources for parents as well. Um, to be able to get support around some of these skills so that they can kind of identify them and, and help their uh, children to learn and practice them as well. And would you say there's like an optimal age to start this kind of stuff? It's such an interesting question because now there's DBTC, which is for children, right? So, ah, <laughs> so okay. really there's... Uh, any age, um, I think can benefit from these skills. I've certainly mostly, you know, most worked often with, um, adolescents, you know, starting as young as 13, 14, um, on up, but I know there's lots of people, uh, doing good work with, with kids even younger. So what can parents do? And like, in addition to those resources, what can parents do to support their kids? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing parents uh, can do is, um, well, there's three things that parents can do. There's probably more, but um, I would say parents can model, they can validate, and they can reinforce. 
So in terms of modeling, uh, what I mean is parents can learn and practice some of these skills themselves um, because that will demonstrate to their children uh, how, to, how to use some of these skills and uh, children learn from watching what their parents do when they're feeling strong emotions or having a difficult time. Um, so I think that's a huge benefit. If you're learning and practicing these skills yourself, your children will benefit from that. Um, the second uh, skill for parents that I think is really, really core um, to uh, supporting college student, high school students and then who be them become college students is uh, to learn and practice validation. So often when children are younger, parents are major problem solvers, right? They come in, they help their kids, they solve their problems for them to a large degree. But as kids get older, parents have less of a role in terms of problem solving, which can be a hard transition for parents. Um, but it's an important one as their uh, children get older and get more independent are gonna be solving more problems on their own or with the help of others. So validation is still something that parents can do. So reflecting back the emotions or experiences or perspective of their child, um, communicating how their emotions and experience make sense um, and really providing that kind of warm, compassionate ear. While doing that, they can say, you know, would you like some suggestions? Would you like some help with this? And if they say yes, offer them. But um, I think a lot of parents have had the experience of trying to jump in and, and solve the problem with some very, very, some maybe very good ideas, but then their child is like, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. You know, I don't, I don't want your help, right? So um, I think validation is really, really, really important. Um, that's a, that's a, like a, when you, when we're working with a client who is new to coaching, um, we always ask first, like, would you like, would you like some ideas for this? And, um, I think, yeah, if someone says no, then they're not going to be receptive to it. If they say yes, then they're going to be receptive. And, but if you don't ask, you don't know what you're going to get and you might end up ruining the relationship. Yeah, exactly. or not ruining it, but yeah, it, it becomes more challenging. You want to you yeah. want to kind of have that collaboration um, yeah. that you're working on something it, together. And it's hard as parents to, because um, of course we just want to fix everything for our kids, but it's it's got especially when they're older, it's got to be up to them to be a part of it. If they're, it, I imagine that it is more effective if the child is like, yes, I want your help. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and it makes so much sense. I mean, nobody wants to see their child suffering and in pain. And if there's something they can do to help solve it, yeah. you want to do it. Um, of course. And so sometimes I remind parents that validation is doing something, right? You're helping your child understand their experience, realize what makes sense about it, um, and then support them in figuring out what to do next. What are some good questions that parents can ask in a situation where the child is really having a hard time? Mm -hmm. um, tell me more about that. Mm. Um, it sounds like you're feeling blank. Is that right? Right. So checking mm -hmm. in with them. Um, and I, I think, I think it's a good indication that you're being validating, uh, if you get more information, right. If they're talking oh. more, that's often a sign that they're feeling understood. Oh, um, yeah. so I think the simple questions are sometimes the the most effective. Mm -hmm. What you one thing that you said um, 
when you said, I think you're feeling this, is that right? Reminds me of what um, a previous guest of mine, Sherry Flatervish said, um, she said, it's okay to be wrong. Um, you know, it's okay to guess your child's feeling and be wrong because that can actually, that can help them figure, help them figure out what they are feeling and figuring out our feelings is a really big part of, of that emotional mm, regulation and, and awareness. I completely agree. It can help them figure out what they're feeling. And also um, it, it's the effort that matters, right? If I'm mm. validating someone else, I don't have to get it right hundred percent of the yeah. time, but usually the other person, or at least when someone's validating me, I appreciate that they're trying. And if I say, you know, that's not quite it. And they say, okay, it's all good, right? Yeah. <laughs> if they say, no, yeah. you are feeling what I think you're feeling, <laughs> right, right, then, right. then it doesn't usually go that, that great. Um, but you know, if you continue to roll with it, then, then, you know, I, I, I appreciate when someone's trying, they don't have to get it perfectly. Yeah. So if you're the person who's validating someone else, you have to be okay with possibly being wrong. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then allowing yourself to be wrong in that moment and letting them tell you, hopefully they'll tell you what they are feeling. Exactly. Right. And then going with that. Yeah. Hmm. And even as a therapist, yes. I do this, right. So I might, oh, I might yeah. miss the mark on something and then I, and then I'll say, oh, okay. You know, help me understand what did I miss and, and go mm. from there. Yeah. And it really helps them figure it out. I'm sure. Cool. And what's the third thing? So reinforce. So this means catching your child doing something effective, um, mm -hmm. and pointing it out. Right. So mm -hmm. in whatever way you think, if you know, your, you know, your child, they would respond to. So noticing them using a skill, a coping skill, um, and maybe mentioning that, like I noticed, um, when you had an argument with your friend, you really took some time to think about what you were going to say before you texted them back. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I really think that helped you communicate your point of view more clearly, right? Something like, you know, can be very simple, um, but to be able to notice them using a skill and then support that either by pointing it out, by being specific about what you think the benefit was, um, maybe just gently noticing it, right? So anything like that, where you're, you're focusing on drawing out those positive coping skills, um, uh, can be very supportive. That's very cool. So I imagine, um, that in DBT, the parent portion of it is, um, maybe bigger than in other, in other types of therapy. Am I right? Yes, especially with adolescents. So um, mm. there are some DBT groups where you have adolescents in their own group and parents in their own group. And there oh. are other groups where the adolescents and their parents are together and what we call multi-family groups. So you have um, uh, multiple families in the same group and everyone is learning and practicing the skills together. So it really reinforces this idea that this is not just for the student, this is also for the parents. Uh, to be learning and practicing these skills as well and really working together. Um, there also can be DBT parent guidance where parents or caregivers are meeting with a DBT therapist themselves to get help and coaching on how to use the skills with their children. Um, so it does tend to be a big part of the treatment, especially with uh, younger folks. And I imagine that if a, if a child is... Um, at high risk, then their parents are probably going to want to be involved. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's important. 
Yeah, we even see that in coaching kids. Um, we have uh, coaching coordinators, which are the family connection, um, uh, so that the, the coach works with the client, and then the coaching coordinator works with the families and answers oh, any questions gosh. that they have. And um, yeah, it's not like full-on coaching sessions, but um, they're available to help you know parents understand the the process of change and, you know, why their child might be resisting or, you know, just how the coach is approaching mm, coaching. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's so important because I think how parents understand their child's behavior really informs how they respond to their child and just having a different yeah. understanding of what might be going on might really make a big change. And yeah. I think, um, I've seen a lot of parents really appreciate that to be able to, you know, be given some different perspectives on what's going on. Yeah, especially when you as the parent can't relate to the mm. child's behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just approached to life. <laughs> like if you're really different from them, yep. it's nice to have to feel like you're being supported as well. So you can really support your child. Yeah, yeah. I see that a lot as well. Mm. <laughs> Great. So speaking of executive function, would you would you say, do you see um, I mean, we know the research shows that there is a connection between executive function, skills, challenges, and mental health. Um, do you see um how does that show up in your practice? I see it in my practice because um I see people come to uh work with me because they're having difficulty with their emotions uh, or trouble in relationships. Um, or other types of behaviors that they want to work on that have been getting in their way. Um, And then it comes to light that they may also have ADHD or that they're having a hard time organizing themselves. Um, And uh, that's part of what's maybe increasing their anxiety about um, uh, their classes or, you know, being able to maintain an internship. And so there's just, and there's also a lot of overlap, I think, between things that you can see with Uh, executive functioning difficulties and some different mental health diagnoses. So, um, you know, difficulty focusing, um, cognitive uh, uh, difficulties, uh, impulsivity. Um, And so some of the skills that um, were initially maybe developed to help people with their moods or their emotions can also really help people who are having these types of um, executive functioning difficulties too, because a lot of the, there's just so much overlap there. And I think the emphasis that we have in DBT on emotions can be very helpful because when emotions are high, we all know it's much more difficult to think clearly. And we think very differently yes. than when emotions are, yes. are lower. Yes. And so having those tools to reduce the intensity of what you're feeling understand it, not feel like you're crazy for having these reactions can then help you think more clearly and, you know, execute some of those skills much more effectively than when emotions are high and and running the show. Um, I just, I just recently sat down with Peg Dawson, the author of Smart But Scattered. Mm. And yeah, it was great. And she, and she said something in her book, which really, really resonated with me. And, and she said, um, if it, uh, once you know the executive function skills areas that you struggle with, if you notice that um, you are really struggling with them and those things are really giving you a hard time, it's it's a sign that you need to stop and pay attention to what's going on. And maybe you have too much on your plate or maybe mm-hmm. there's like a larger thing that needs to be addressed. 
Um, and, and I just loved that, that advice. And I use it for myself all the time. Mm. Like I have a terrible memory as the listeners know, I've talked about this before. And I notice when I'm, when I'm extra forgetful, I know that, um, it means that I just have too much going on and I need to do something. I need to, something needs to change. Mm -hmm. I love that. This idea that, that it's telling you something important that you need to pay attention to. And I think emotions act in a similar way, right? Like what is this emotion telling me? What is, what is, uh, what is it signaling to me about myself or the situation that I'm in? And then, you know, that can help figure out what to do from there. Yeah. There's so much, so much evidence and information in, in, in our behaviors and our, and how we feel. Yeah. I love I really approach my coaching that way. It's like, I love to ask why, like, let's really ask why, and you can ask why and get one answer. And then you can ask why again mm. for that, whatever answer that was. And then you kind of really get down to the, mm. the, the base of it. Like what's really, really, really going on. What is this so, really about? Yeah. 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 It reminds me of my parents used to call me the why bird when I was little, because I asked why all the time (laughs) practicing, practicing for now. Being curious. Yeah. Yeah. Being curious is so it's such a, it can be a difficult thing to do because sometimes you don't like the answer you come up Mm. with. Uh, but it's so informative and just, um, can really change your life. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So do you have anything else that you want to share? Anything else that um, you think our listeners would would benefit from? I think one thing is that if you're going to be starting practicing some of these skills to start with what feels easiest, start Mm. with something that you're drawn to. Um, uh, It doesn't have to be the biggest, most difficult thing that you can tackle at first. Um, And like we said earlier, it's okay to make mistakes. And it's not always going to be easy. So I I, I think, you know, that's something that's important to communicate. Um, And, um, and really just the having that respect for your own emotions and feelings and noticing if you're someone who judges yourself a lot for how you feel, that that is also going to be an important thing to work on to really try to get back to that validation, even that self validation of what is this I'm feeling? And how does it actually make sense? Even when I feel like I don't like it. Yeah. Was it Walt Whitman who said, be curious without judgment or something? Mm. I'm sure whoever it was said it much (laughs) much more eloquent than that, but (laughs) yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Um, I guess if you're just trying to change, do anything new, it's good to start with something that is small and feels like something that you're interested in. I don't think any change has ever been made by (laughs) biting off the biggest piece and, and trying to make it happen. Yeah. All in all at once. Yeah. So, that's great. And do you have anything going on that you're excited about? I do. So, um, next summer we're going to be starting the pre-college, uh, mental health prep. Um, and then also, uh, coming up this fall, in addition to the DBT groups, um, developing groups, uh, for those same age group, uh, range. So the college students and then the young adults up to age 30, um, groups for anxiety, Um, and then a group for trauma. So I'm really excited uh, to add those groups to what we're doing because I really believe in group therapy and that experience is being so helpful for people and just really adding that extra support in addition to, you know, maybe their individual uh, therapy that they have every week. 
Have you noticed any change? I mean, you've been you've been in the business for a while now. Yeah. Have you noticed any um, change over the years with people's openness to therapy and talking about therapy? I have. I think people have become more open to talking about therapy and willing to share that they're in therapy with other people. And I think um, even, you know, maybe in part because of the pandemic, uh, and how uh, pervasive uh, difficulties with isolation have been for so many of us that it's it feels a little bit less stigmatized to ask for help around these things because we just see so many people around us struggling um, in different ways. So um, I, you know, it's it's possible that that has been helpful in that sense in terms of maybe reducing some stigma around it. Have, do you notice a difference in um, the kids who are in your groups today, post-pandemic, as compared to the kids that were in your groups before? Hmm. I think I think that just the real emphasis on um, feeling isolated or mm -hmm. feeling like things aren't going according to plan um, because they're not. Uh, <laughs> that um, you know, none of us expected this or planned for this or, or wanted this. So. Um, those are kinds of the themes that come up now that weren't as, that did come up before, but weren't as strong before that there was sort of this expectation. I would go to college. I would spend a certain amount of time there. I would have my full senior year. I'd get to be with my friends. Right. And, and now there's just a, such a, um, uncertainty about the present and the future that is, is really hard to manage. I was just want, thinking, like, I wonder if, Maybe, and maybe you've noticed this, but I wonder if there's, so this, like going through the pandemic is this collective shared experience that we've all had. And, and, it, and it is a form of trauma, right? Because it's like this small repeated exposure mm. to difficult things over and over and over. And, um, and I wonder if groups, people within groups, therapy groups feel closer than they did before the pandemic, because everyone's gone through the shared experience. Do you, I mean, I don't know if there's any way to measure that, but would you say? I don't know, but anecdotally, I would agree because I think mm. it can be very validating to be in a space with people who have gone through similar things, which is what I hear a lot about yeah. the college groups that people really like being in a group with other college students because of that shared experience and because you're seeing that you're not alone with some of the things that you're struggling with and that there's other people who are... Um, similar to you in some ways who might also be struggling. And so I think having that shared experience can be very validating and comforting. And I do see people more seeking out groups because they're looking for that connection with other people. Yeah, right, right. And how wonderful that they get the, they get the social connection and they get the side benefit of, or the side <laughs> benefit of the social connection and the, 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 the skills, the skills that they're learning within the group. Yeah, I think they're equally important. I really do being yeah. able to connect with other people and, and differentiate, you know, where we're different and where we're similar and have those types of conversations. There's not always a ton of spaces where we can do that. So it's really fun actually to be able to provide that um, because it's very hopeful and supportive and exciting when you see people using skills. And then it's not just me as a therapist who's encouraging them, uh, but you, they start to encourage each other and really each applaud other, each yeah. other for, you yeah. know, being more skillful, using more of these tools. Um, and it's just, it's really fun to see that uh, develop. And Jackie, can you share with our listeners where they can find you and more about your work? 
Absolutely. So they can go to the Village Psychology website, which is villagepsych.com. So it's villagepsych.com. And you'll find a lot of more information about the groups that we offer, um, my background, and also ways to get in touch. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jackie. I'm so glad you were here today and you shared everything with us. This has been really, really fascinating and really interesting. I'd love to have you back to talk about more. Thanks so much for having me. I'd love to come back. And that's our show for today. I really hope that you found something useful in my conversation with Jackie. Thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your day to listen. Jackie is about to have her first baby, so we send her all the best wishes from Beyond Booksmart. If you are enjoying learning about these important topics we're covering in each episode of Focus Forward, please share our podcast and be sure to check out the show notes for this episode on our website. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when new episodes drop and you can easily find the resources we share on each topic. Thanks for listening.